This is Divorce Happy Hour, a show about divorce and issues people face going through divorce. Your co-hosts are Christina Previtt and John Nocklinger. For more information about the show and to connect with us, head over to divorcehappyhour.com. And now, on to today's show. Welcome back to the show. I know it has been a while since we had a new episode of Divorce Happy Hour, but I thought what better time to come back with a new episode, but now during Pride Month. As many of you know, and those of you that don't know, every June is Pride Month. It's a month that celebrates the diversity of LGBTQ individuals and the issues that they go through in all different aspects of life. Now, obviously, we're here to talk about family law and divorce. So today, what I want to talk a little bit about are the issues that the community faces when they're entering into relationships, when they're dissolving relationships, and when they're trying to have children both biologically and adoption. Now, obviously, I'm not going to be able to touch on everything today, but I'm going to try to touch on as much as I can. By the way, my name is John Nocklinger. I am the co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions. I am the past chair of the LGBT rights section of the New Jersey State Bar Association. I have represented hundreds of members of the LGBTQ community throughout my tenure as a divorce and family law attorney. So I've seen a lot of the issues that we're going to talk about on today's show. And I want you all just to understand at the very beginning that these are complex issues. They're not something that I can explain to you in 15, 20 minutes. They require a lot of very careful consideration and analysis. So let's start at the very beginning. Before we even get into um, how you deal with these issues, let's just make sure we all are on the same page about what exists, because that's something that most people just don't even understand. So New Jersey is kind of an interesting state in that we have had some version of same-sex recognition for quite some time, certainly before many other states. So in 2004, New Jersey passed the New Jersey Domestic Partnership Act. And what this did, it went into effect, I think, in July 2004. It allowed same-sex couples, as well as um, opposite-sex couples age 62 years and older to enter into a legally recognized relationship. Now it provided some health care benefits, for example, your ability to go and make decisions uh, for your partner if they are unable to. It provided some inheritance um, benefits, mostly in the tax uh, arena, some property rights and uh, other rights and obligations. But it certainly did not afford all the rights responsibilities and obligations of marriage. Uh, At the time, it was argued that it was separate but equal, but it certainly wasn't equal. But that's what existed in 2004. 
Well, in 2006, the New Jersey Supreme Court, in a case called Lewis versus Harris, ruled that the Domestic Partnership Act didn't do the trick. It was not separate but equal. And so really what had uh, happened was the entire court unanimously ruled the Domestic Partnership Act was not uh, was not appropriate. It did not do the job. But there was a split on whether or not that meant there had to be marriage or if there could be something else. And they left that to the legislature to figure out what that would look like. And some of the court did think back then that it should be marriage, that the New Jersey Constitution requires marriage and not just something like marriage. Well, in 2006, the um, New Jersey legislature did pass a bill allowing for what's called a civil union, and it went into effect in early 2007. Now, the Civil Union, civil union Act provided almost all of the rights that married couples have under New Jersey law, but there were some issues. Now, one of the issues was that there is, was a federal law called the Defense of Marriage Act, which allowed states to not recognize same-sex marriages in other states. So, New, when you're in New Jersey, you have this same-sex recognition that was like marriage, but the second you left New Jersey borders, you really didn't have any rights. Also, you had no federal rights. In other words, you had no tax rights. Couldn't file a joint tax return. Um, inheritance, still you were not a spouse as far as federal uh, estate tax is concerned. So there was a bunch of issues. You were not considered a spouse for immigration purposes. So it still didn't really do the trick. But that was 2007. Well, in 2013, the United States Supreme Court um, struck down this DOMA law, this Defense of Marriage Act law. And, um, and then, of course, marriage became legal um, nationwide because they uh, ruled that you cannot have um, the separate but equal uh, situation. You also cannot deny marriage to same-sex individuals. So that's where we are now. Now, I tell you all of that because it should become clear that in New Jersey, we have like these four, we'll call them sections of time where all kinds of stuff has been going on. We have pre-domestic partnerships in New Jersey. Um, and by the way, there were other states and other countries that had legal recognition, had civil unions, had marriage before New Jersey, but we're gonna concentrate on just New Jersey to make this simple. So before domestic partnerships, so before 2004, we have a lot of committed same-sex couples that were together for many, many years. Owned property together, maybe didn't own property together, had these fully committed interpersonal relationships with one another. Then here comes domestic partnership. Now some people entered into a domestic partnership and they, they did it for all kinds of reasons, right? Some of them were because they wanted to be, quote, married. Others for 
a variety of other reasons because it did afford things like medical benefits. If you were a state employee in New Jersey and you became a domestic partner, you could provide those benefits to your domestic partner just like you could a spouse. So there were some certainly some very concrete reasons why people entered into domestic partnerships. But there were a lot of people who, you know, looked at domestic partnerships and said, this is not marriage. I'm not doing it. Um, because it was, it was not equal and it was separate and it was not what people wanted. So you have pre-domestic partnership, then you have domestic partnership in 2004. Now here come civil unions in 2007. Now civil unions were much more like marriage except for all the reasons I just mentioned a second ago. And so you had some people who had not entered into a domestic partnership um, now enter into a civil union. Then you had others that entered into a domestic partnership that then entered into a civil union. So you had a hodgepodge, and then you still had people who were in these long-term relationships who still were thumbing their nose at um, this civil union saying, it's not marriage so i'm not doing it so now here comes 2013 and not only did the uh u.s supreme court get involved but also a uh, a uh, judge in new jersey also ruled in september 2013 that the state must allow same-sex couples to marry all right so now you've got marriage 2013 people are getting married so you've got Section A is basically everything up to domestic partnership. Then section B is domestic partnership to civil union. C is civil union to marriage. And then you've got marriage going forward. So you can already see how complicated this got. Because you had people that did everything along the way. A domestic partnership, civil union, then marriage. You had other people that did nothing until marriage. But they were in a serious relationship the whole time. And you had everything in between. And then what even became more complicated for many people is that civil unions became marriages the way that we did it in New Jersey. But domestic partnerships, if you never entered into a civil union, were still there. So people that were getting divorced actually had to still dissolve their civil union, strange as it sounds, which is one of the nuances that you need to understand is why you need an attorney who knows what they're doing because that's something easily an attorney that doesn't understand what is going on would miss that you might need to dissolve another uh, recognition other than the marriage if you were getting divorced so that is the background and th that was a very 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 short of cliff's notes version of the background and we could go we could talk about the background all day there's a lot more to talk about but I just want you to get sort of a framework of what we're going to talk about today now the first thing before we get into specifics is that you need to understand how important getting the right attorney is now it's not just finding someone who understands the law any good attorney can learn the law they really can. I mean, it's not something that they can't do. They can learn the law. But there are a whole variety of things that they can't just learn. And so those are the intangible things that are very important when you go to find an attorney to help you deal with any issues related 
to LGBTQ relationships. So what else do you need to make sure an attorney knows? Well, there are cultural sensitivities, right? Um, as a member of the community myself, I know how difficult it is for many people who aren't part of the community to even speak our language, to even use the right pronouns, to even use the right terminology. Uh, people just don't understand. And it's not because they're bad or because they have some negative connotations towards our community. It's just because they don't know. And I'm certainly not telling you you absolutely have to have, you know, an LGBTQ person attorney representing you to get um, quality representation, but you certainly have to have the sensitivity. You certainly need somebody who, not just them, but their entire law firm undergoes uh, training on how to deal with the issues that... Um, that we encounter and not just how to deal with the issues, but how to talk to us and how to relate to us because there are certainly very unique things that we go through as a community. So you need someone who understands the law. And like I said, many attorneys don't. So that's a sort of first step is do you understand the law? Second is, do you understand the cultural considerations? And then the third thing is, can you advocate? for this LGBTQ person, all right? Advocate for them in front of a mediator, in front of an arbitrator, in front of another attorney, in front of a judge. You need to understand how to educate other people to understand the issues going on in the case. And so it really requires a lot to properly represent someone, a member of the community. And it also requires somebody to be absolutely creative and to always think outside the box. Because the law doesn't really help us. It really doesn't. The law, There is really no published law on how to deal with something like a long-term relationship for 20 years and then people get married. It's difficult. And so it really requires you to understand that everybody involved in the dispute, let's call let's say it's a divorce for now. Everyone involved in the divorce has to understand that we can't just sit here and pretend like it's some garden variety divorce. We can't just pretend like it's anything else. We have to look at it from the position of you couldn't get married. What is absolutely fair in this very long-term relationship? So I say all that just so you understand before we even get into sort of the legal issues that come up in these uh, in these cases, that you got to find the right attorney, and it's really important. Um, you know, I just before I started recording this podcast, I just went on Google, and practically every divorce attorney has a section about LGBTQ divorce, and. I read just, I sampled 10 of them. And in nine of the 10, there was incorrect information on their website. Because let's be honest, most people want to represent members of our community. And so of course they're gonna advertise. But just someone, just because someone advertises or puts something on a website about it, doesn't mean that they know what they're doing. So that's my first tip to everybody, is just be sure that you are actually getting the right attorney. Seek recommendations. 
You know, obviously, if you actually hire an attorney who is a member of the community, you're more likely to get somebody who knows the law, knows the cultural and practical issues we go through, and knows how to talk to people. Of course, that's not always the case, but that's certainly more likely. But if you don't get a member of the community, just make sure they, you, you find the right attorney. Ask them how many people they've actually represented. Ask them, you know, what, <laughs> ask them what do you think is fair in this situation? regardless of which side you're on if you have an attorney that tells you something like well i know you were together for 20 years but you only got married in 2013 so basically everything before 2013 doesn't matter walk out of their office they're not the right attorney because they have a mindset of not understanding the issues so just keep that all in mind now what issues do we have to talk about well when we're dealing with dissolution of a marriage here are the issues that come up. Number one, if you're not married, there is very little the court can do for you. Very little. Um, typically, you can only have the court deal with issues related to children. And you can really only have the court deal with property that is jointly owned. So that's usually what the case is when you don't have married people. Because New Jersey doesn't have what's called com common law marriage, meaning if you just lived with someone for a long time and held yourself out to be married, you become married. We don't have that. Other states do, but we don't here. So what does it all mean? Well, if you get married, then all of a sudden, yes, the court has the ability to do a bunch of things. And then it becomes a matter of fairness and equity about bringing in the pre-marriage years. Now, certainly, you might want to look at it from, an in, from a standpoint of intention. You know, did you and your partner intend to be married? Did you guys make specific decisions about the way you did your life so that you were married? You called each other, each other wives or husbands. Did you actually hold yourself out? So there are a lot of very fact-specific things you've got to think about. But it actually becomes even more complicated than that. So domestic partnerships, which we talked about, 2004, people started entering into them. Well, the problem with domestic partnerships is that the court had very limited ability to do anything. The court could not award alimony. The court could not divide any property that was not jointly owned. In other words, both partner's names on the deed of a house, for example. And so there was very limited things the court could do. Now, what happens if you enter into a domestic partnership in 2004, and now you're not even getting married until, let's say, 2018? So you didn't get married right when you could, you waited five more years. What does that mean? Does that mean that we should go all the way back to the domestic partnership date and say any property that was acquired by anybody is going to be divided? Does that mean we go back there to look and see whether or not alimony is appropriate? It's an open question, right? Because again, it's intention. You entered into a domestic partnership, but you didn't do a civil union and you waited five years after you could get married to get married. So it is complicated, but I say all of this just so, not because I'm going to sit here and try to tell you every specific circumstance that could possibly happen on this podcast, but just so you understand that you got to understand that this isn't easy. It's not easy. And 
for God's sake, you don't want a judge doing any of this. You don't want a judge touching your life. So it really requires you and your partner to at least be committed to working something out that's fair for both of you. Now, what other kinds of, of divorces enter into this realm? Well, the one that's very, very common, and I've handled hundreds of these, are people who were in opposite, opposite sex, I'll say, in, using air quotes, traditional marriages who um, came out later in life. And now they're getting divorced. So they have a traditional marriage, but now they're living their authentic life. Now you might think, well, that sounds pretty easy legally speaking. They're just a marriage that's getting that, and they're getting divorced. Yes, from a legal perspective, it's not terribly complicated. From a cultural and practical perspective, there's all kinds of landmines. This goes back to making sure you have an attorney that speaks your language, that understands the issues that you're encountering. So, you know, when we look at when we look at stuff like that, where does it come into play? Things like custody. And we still have bias all over the place about, you know, should a child be, you know, subjected to a certain, you know, relationship. There's a lot of things going on, but that requires you to be able to advocate and explain to a judge, you know, what the issues are. Um, you know, I had a case one time where a judge uh, saw some indication, uh, saw that uh, my client was coming out as gay and started conflating being gay with being, a, with being transgender and then started equating that with being a transvestite didn't understand what any of the terms meant, was throwing them around because he didn't understand. Now, I don't mean to say that this particular judge meant any malice, but he didn't know. And so he required somebody like me to stand in court and to lecture him about what he needed to know in order to make a fair uh, ruling on this particular case. Guys, you understand that most people in the world don't know how to talk our language. They don't know about LGBTQ issues. They just don't. And again, it's not because they're, you know, they're, they're doing anything wrong. They just don't live our life. All right. And there's examples of this everywhere. You know, I am a white man. I am gay, but I'm a white man. There's a lot of things about every ethnic community that I cannot possibly understand because I don't live that life. I can read books, I can watch programs, I can have friends that I talk to. I can even go and put myself in different communities and try to understand what they're going through. But I'm not, I'm not you know, intimately involved. I don't speak the language. And I don't mean language, obviously, in a actual language issue. I'm talking about understand the way we talk, the way we look at things. So there's that. And then, of course, the third broad category where this comes into play is somebody who is coming out as transgender later in life, who is uh, deciding to transition, who, you know, has told their spouse, listen, this is what's happening. Those are a little bit more interesting just be from the standpoint of sometimes people try to make those marriages work and then they just don't. And those become very difficult. Now, 
I'm just giving you the three broad categories. Obviously, LGBTQ issues come into play much more frequently than that. You have situations where children are transgender and now parents are fighting about it. Now they're getting divorced. Now the court's trying to get involved. And what should we do with this child? Um, and we've got, uh, we've got people who got married and there was a child from a former relationship who's now in this, in this same-sex marriage um, or relationship. And now we've got issues about, is this a psychological parent case where you know, the non-biological or non-legal parent has been acting like a parent for so long that this child is so bonded that there needs to be a continuation of the relationship. There are a million things that come up when we deal with LGBTQ individuals in the divorce and family law arena. And it's really important that you look at it from a fairness perspective. And that's what I always tell people. It's what's fair. The law says one thing. And let's be all very clear. The law sucks. The law does not reflect reality when it comes to our relationships. It does not. If you just looked at the law, you would be flabbergasted at how backwards and not caught up with the times it is. But that's reality. We all know that going in. We all know that we have to figure out what's fair. We cannot sit here and just say, oh, let's go apply the law. Judge, please apply the law. Because it's not going to give us a good result for anybody. So I really hope that just listening to some of this at least lets you know that there's a lot that you don't know. There's a lot that you need to take into consideration. There's a lot that's important that you need to think about whenever you enter a divorce or family law case. And of course, when it comes to custody, we have bias all over the place. I mean, if you are in a situation where you did a second parent adoption and now there's a divorce or there's a custody dispute, we all know there's a bias towards biological parents if one's not biological. But it's even more complex when they're members of the LGBTQ community. So just be sure that whenever you enter this realm, that number one, you look for the right attorney that can actually represent you in a way that you can feel comfortable with. You should not feel uncomfortable around your own attorney. You should not feel uncomfortable calling an office and them not using the proper pronoun to address you. Um, you should not worry that you're not gonna have somebody when you're in a mediation or you're in court talks about you in a way that's not appropriate. I mean, you want someone who can advocate for you. You don't want somebody that's just going to um, speak their normal language and hope that you somehow fit into their analysis of what is appropriate. So that's all I'm going to talk to you about today. I could talk, I could do like a 10 part of this. We could go through each section in a lot of detail. That wasn't the point of today's podcast. The point of today's podcast is just to open your eyes Make sure you understand that all of this is complicated, that you need to get the right attorney to represent you, and that you need to go into this with a fairness perspective. If you're the person making a lot more money than your, than your partner, don't be an ass. Don't be a jerk. Don't screw things up for the entire community by having some judge make bad law. 
you need to be fair. You know what reality was like. You know that you maybe supported your partner for 30 years. You need to be fair, regardless of how pissed off you are and how much your your partner may have hurt you. Be fair. Fairness is important. It's not just important um, in LGBTQ uh, divorces. It's, it's really important in all family law cases, but it's particularly important for us. Guys, we couldn't get married for so long. And now that we are married, we should not use traditional marriage laws to hurt each other. Please, let's all be fair to each other. It's the least we can do. And be sure you find the right attorney so that you can move forward and find that fairness. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If I can help you at all, you can give our office a call, New Jersey Divorce Solutions, 732-529-6937. If you mention this podcast, I will personally give you a free 30-minute consultation. But you have to mention this podcast and say, John told me I could have a free consultation. All right. Everybody, have an incredible Pride Month, have an incredible summer, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. For more information, check out divorcehappyhour.com. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.